Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Deemer, and I'm starting the episode addressing what happened over the weekend, specifically the group chat argument that occurred. Now, what caused it, the trade itself, and my thoughts and concerns with it, um, you'll hear, you'll, you will hear very thoroughly and specifically throughout this episode. So even though I'm not going to be including those specific thoughts here, Rest assured, I will speak to them uh, once we get to that piece of the episode and we are actually talking about uh, the trade itself. Um, originally, I was very torn on whether to say anything at all um, since we've uh, moved on a bit. But after talking it over with the commissioner of another fantasy baseball league who I trust a great deal, um, I am going to follow his advice and just address the situation. Disclaimer, this is far from the worst of fantasy league general uh, group message arguments that I've seen. Um, but I'm going to say something anyways, just to hopefully ease some of the, any remaining tension and prevent uh, these sort of things in the future. Um, I put a lot of thought into what I was going to say. Um, I've kind of been thinking about this all weekend, uh, not just what I was going to say on the podcast, but the whole situation. Um, and my only ask is that you, keep an open mind as I'm talking through all of this and know it's because I care about this league a great deal and want it to be the best experience for everyone. So this part of being a fantasy commissioner is the most delicate one. Um, we want engagement and communication. We want trash talk and multiple opinions. Arguably, we don't have enough trash talk in our league. That's why it was a whole podcast segment. Um, so of course, I understand that everybody in the league doesn't have to be best of friends or even like one another. It's good that people care enough about this league to have a reaction to a trade that we all perceived as lopsided. Um, and we really do have an excellent league here from our unique rule structure with the keepers to a league podcast that has more listeners than spectators in an Oakland A's game. I understand that there will never be a fantasy league completely free of any sorts of conflict. And I'm not suggesting that I want to be part of such a boring utopia anyways. However, if the conflict does cross a line, that's when I have to step in and send the dad text, as Sam so uh, lovingly put it, I'm sure. And frankly, I think I was too slow to do that this time. Um, other commissioners, and I know a couple of you are, are commissioners in other fantasy leagues, um, I'm sure you can sympathize with the extra stress that comes with keeping league peace, since this really isn't an optional part of the job. Um, GM fights are not fun for anyone, um, but really, least of all the commissioner who has no option but to monitor the argument and whose priority is keeping the peace. Um, I don't say this in a braggy way, but I do put more effort into this league than anybody between podcasts every week, uh, making the keeper charts, doing the schedule, uh, etc. Um, and again, I, I don't need any praise for that. That's what I signed up for being the commissioner. But I think that I'm just saying this as to give some perspective onto why I was particularly frustrated by this whole thing going on. It's like I said, like keeping league peace is not optional for me. I have to kind of be monitoring that thing to make sure that make that the league's not burning around me. Um, but just explaining my particular frustration when I'm at my nephew's birthday party on Saturday and my, or I'm, we're trying to have dinner on Friday night to celebrate buying a house and my phone's blowing up and I have to be worried about what's going on in the fantasy group chat. Um, 
I know I felt this way, but I, I'm sure we can all agree that's not really very fair to me. <laughs> um, and again, being the commissioner, that's keeping the keeping the group message piece is not optional. I, I have to monitor that to make sure it doesn't get out of hand. Um, and this next part, I, I couldn't have stated this better than, than Nate did himself two weeks ago. Uh, but to paraphrase, this league allows me to keep in touch with people I was once very close with. And I, I know that holds true for a lot of you as well. Um, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Uh, nobody is playing in this league because of a monetary prize. Um, and these are not, you know, internet randoms that you're arguing with. I'm glad that you care about the league and its fairness and competitiveness. I certainly do as well. Uh, but the point here is, you know, keep it in perspective. There's more important things than than our fantasy league, as important as I feel it is. Um, I understand, but to, to sympathize with you guys, I understand a lot of the reactions people had. I absolutely do. I've been there, and honestly, I was there when I opened my Fantrax app and saw this trade. Um, these things are especially tough to swallow in baseball, where the season is such a grind and more effort has to be put in than any other fantasy sport. And I, I say that as a fact. Um, so I, I get all that. You're welcome to, tr to trash talk and give reactions to a particular trade that just occurred. That's just part of league engagement. Um, but the part that, that I was upset with was the, the conversation escalated well beyond that and continued well into the next day to the point where all anyone was doing was making each other angry. And I, I was definitely a part of that, so I'm not excusing myself either. Um, but that is the part that, that just won't be happening anymore. Um, and frankly, that's not what this league is about, and I probably need to have a, a quicker trigger in uh, shutting that sort of thing down. But I'm not going to conclude this monologue by telling you what not to do, but rather kind of to ex extend an olive branch as to what I think is a better solution for everybody um, going forward. And maybe this was, was maybe the, the fact that this wasn't the case already, maybe this is just me not being um, as open as I should. But um, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. If you have a real, if you have real concerns about a trade in the future, whether that be uh, the ramifications of it for the market, lopsidedness, the type of trade, or the like, um, come and talk to me about it. Just send me a text. Um, I can't believe I'm about to say, but if you really need a phone call to uh, to get your thoughts out, I would be willing to accept that. Um, in this case. Uh, I will be happy to work through any of those thoughts with you um, and anyone else really who shares the same viewpoint to try to come up with a solution, especially if we're feeling um, you know, competitive balance is affected. Uh, but I can't really effectively help you or hear you out when everybody is kind of yelling in the group chat all at once because I can't, I can't text fast enough. I mean, that's one thing I was finding when we were I was I was arguing with you guys in the group chat. I mean, I wasn't really wasn't really arguing with you, but it was uh, it was tough to keep up, and I I feel like it it made it the messages were just kind of getting lost, um, and that probably contributed to the whole situation. But anyways, um, I want what's best for the league, and angry texting in a group chat for over twenty four hours about something is not the productive way to achieve any sort of solution. And I can't really imagine it's fun for anyone to spend a weekend doing that, or I guess it would be about half a weekend doing that, um, or how they'd really envision wanting to spend their time. So 
I mean, I hope this helps ease some of the tension and help the league move on from this. I know we already kind of have, but I, again, I, I felt like I should probably say something considering that I'm, you know, I'm the commissioner and this is this happened over the weekend. It's was sort of a big deal. Um, the season has been really wild and have it get hung up here would kind of be a shame with, you know, it's been a really crazy season. We've had some unprecedented things happening with our standings, especially, um, but to close and, you know, get on with the actual episode, which I'm sure you'd rather listen to than me rambling. Um, I hope that everybody could agree that having these types of escalated arguments is not good or fun for anyone. I hope it's clear what the expectations sort of is going to be going forward. I am going to have a quicker trigger with this sort of thing. Um, hopefully just shutting it down before it gets too out of hand or everybody gets too heated because that's just not, it's not good for anybody to do that. Um, and I'm not calling anyone out in particular because I was, especially since I was right there with you, I argued the whole way through. Um, but I know that I didn't have fun doing it and I'm sure you guys also didn't. So it's probably just better for everyone um, that, you know, we just don't do that again. <laughs> but I hope I've made clear that I'm very open to discuss concerns you might have with you. That I'm not trying to to silence anyone in any way. If you If you have any any concerns or anything like that um i hope that i've 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 made it clear that you're you're free to reach out to me um either by text or even in some cases i will accept a phone call uh but finally i hope we can all agree to not already hand jc the trophy because he went 0 and 2 last week and also it's currently at league villain nick's house and i really don't want to have to drive out there to get it right now so i'm a little busy but despite all that, it is business as usual for the podcast. We're discussing a particularly heavy and lengthy topic today when we talk about the trade market, the current state of affairs, and how Jerwin's overall thoughts on keepers have changed or stayed the same as the season has progressed. Um, I think everybody kind of remembers what he had said earlier in the season. Uh, so we're going to get his updated thoughts on that. Um, and contrary to what this intro might have you believe, I am not, in fact, doing the podcast myself today. So joining me now is Jerowin. And as per usual, he does not get to say anything until we jump right into it. So we are going to start with our prior week recap. So we had our rivalry week on that rivalry. I did it again. I called it the rivalry week. It's actually the East versus West Bowl, um, starting with the we'll just start right from the top jake's fantasy baseball team beats team eminon 256.6 to 197.4 weak pullout hitter beats beaver valley all-stars 285 to 215 the walk institute of research beats look at my tatis 246.3 to 242.9 the flying rutchman beats eating ass and taking names 222.42 186.2 the mighty vibes beats jc and company 184.2 to 171 and finally no money mike beat team c deemer 265.3 to 194.2 our median was very low this week um i did not I, I did not look to see if this is correct but i have i kind of feel like this has to be our lowest of the season if if not it's pretty close at 218.7 uh, we had two one and one teams. Eddie, he lost. Um, he lost head to head, but he finished above the median. And Jerowin, uh, given back his luck from last week, he won but finished below the median. 
Um, so going to our standings update. Uh, in the East, uh, I went 2-0, and so I'm still in first with 15-3. and Mike back on the back winning again at 13 and five. He also went to, you know, despite the zero and two week from JC, um, he is still sitting at third in 11 and seven. He has a two game lead over Nate for that spot over in the West. Things are starting to get a little bit more interesting. Scott lost that drops him to 13 and five, but he's really in no danger of dropping out of that first spot at this point. This is where it starts to get a little interesting though. Nick Lee went 0 and 2, so he's now at 9 and 9. Jerwin went 1 and 1, he's at 7 and 11. But it's starting to get a little crowded there. And I I know I said I know I kind of critiqued Jerwin's power rankings because I said I thought that Nick Lee was a lock. Well, with this recent skid, it looks like I might be wrong. Um, he's now only two games in the playoffs, two games from being out of the playoffs. So uh, definitely. Definitely not a lock anymore, I should say. Um, it's starting to get a little crowded over there in the West. So just, of course, that just makes our standings even more crazy. But um, that's just what happened this week. So, Jerowin, I know that I, I have been done a lot of talking, so I think it, it is only fair for me to let you start with your takeaway. I appreciate it, Jake. Uh, my takeaway is I, this week was just a great example and a great reminder that anything can happen in fantasy. You touched on a couple of things. The median was really low. I also meant to check and then didn't, but I, I know like we've had a bunch of like 230 to 250 medians so far this year. So 218, um, definitely up there for lowest, if not the lowest so far this year. Um, really jumps out at really jumps off the page at you. Um, and then, you know, the top two in the West go zero and two, but the West in general, the the West was best this week, and they went four and two overall. So, um, you know, e- everything that we've talked about, the East-West disparity, all those things, Nick Lee being a lock, like a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Scoring being up, all of it proven wrong in, in the span of a week. Um, so just, just remember, fantasy is not your friend. It will betray you at any moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my takeaway was pretty similar. It was that uh, my blind faith in the East to prove or to back up our talk uh, has made me look like a fool because that did not happen. Um, as Jerowin said, the the West took four out of the six matchups, um, and it, uh, yeah, just it, it did not go well for the East overall. Um, despite by all measures that being the stronger division, we we totally choked this week. I gotta say, um, we get we get a little bit of a a chance. It's not going to be the same because we're not. It's not like the cross division stuff, but it we get a little bit of a chance for redemption this week because I I noticed we have all East versus West matchups again, but it's not quite going to be the same. It's not it's not the East versus West bowl anymore. This is just this is just a normal week on the schedule. But we can get a little bit of uh, a little bit of revenge here if if we can we can get our act together this week, which I hope we do we do. All right, so let's move to trades. We have three. Um, one I noticed I forgot to put on the itinerary. Oops. Um, we'll save the biggest one 
for last because that's also going to go uh, very much into our main segment. So uh, we'll touch on the other ones first. Uh, so let's start with the one that happened first, and that's Sam trades Justin Verlander and Nate gave up Nestor Cortez and Jared Kellenick. Uh, Jared, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, After, so I, I think this is pretty, this is just a good trade. I think both sides get interesting stuff out of it. Um, I, I would compare, I would say this is like the better version of my trade with Nick Lee. I, I think it's at least comparable because, you know, you're, you're getting the veteran arm in Justin Verlander, who's, you know, he was out for a good chunk to start the year and has, um, he, he still looks decent. Um, but then on the other side, you have Nesta Cortez, who is better than Mackenzie Gore, certainly. And though he has had his struggles this year, I think we would both agree that we believe in Nestor Cortez to sort of right the ship more than we believe in, in Mackenzie Gore to, you know, maintain what he's been doing. Um, and then Jared Kalenic versus Kalenic? Kalenic? That's who, what, who knows? Who knows? Uh, he he's. I mean, I think he's worse than Gattel Marte. Um, but he he still has more keeper upside, I guess. He he might just be a streaky player because that's kind of the profile he has, anyways. So we'll see if he kind of kicks things back into gear and finds that early success again. He might just be in a dry spell right now, but. Um, yeah, I think overall fair. If if anyone, I, I think I would give... Hmm, it's tough. I think I would give the win to Sam for now, but... Or, sorry, I, I would give the win to Nate for now, picking up Justin Verlander. But, I mean, Nestor is still a decent keeper if he can turn things around, and same thing with Kalenic. So um, there's a little bit of wait wait and see in this one as well. Yeah, I actually think that like this trade was kind of perfectly valued from either side, at least to me, and we'll we'll get to that a little later. But um, Verlander has, has had his struggles this year. I know that he was, I believe, the top pitcher last year. Maybe that was Sandy. I don't remember which one of them actually was number one. But in any event, Verlander's struggle has had his struggles this year. Um, I know he's he's coming back recently, but there are some there's some chinks in the armor that there are like, there's some real things to be a little concerned about that. Maybe he's not going to reach the level he has in the past. Um, but even still, I think the upside is still well worth trading for. I like, I certainly would have made a play for him um, on the other side. Like I, I, this is the reason I think it's perfectly valued is like Nestor Cortez had a really good year last year, but I mean, he's also, like you said, he's had his struggles. Um, I know some of my concerns from last year, that didn't end up impacting him last year when he had his really good year have kind of showed up a little bit this year. Um, so I, I'm not saying like I, I got, this is not me claiming a victory lap or anything that would be stupid because obviously I, I was wrong. He was really good last year, but um, I, I think that this is kind of perfectly valued because on one hand you have a guy in Verlander who struggled and is maybe showing some signs that he's not going to be, great but still has the upside to be 
And on the other side, you're, on the other hand, you're getting a keeper that has pretty much the same, not the same profile in the sense that like he's the same pitcher Verlander is, but he's the, the same profile as in he was also very good last year, has some chinks in the armor. And if he turns it around, it's a high upside keep. Um, Jared Kelnick, I know, I, I don't know. I, like his his strikeout rate has skyrocketed recently. I don't know if it's, maybe, maybe he is a streaky hitter. But like personally, I get so frustrated by those types of players that like I just I want nothing to do with them. So it like Kellenick would have to do a lot at this point for me to see him as a good keeper. But um I do acknowledge like the power upside is is there. I'm unfortunately though, I think the strikeout rate, like I've kind of seen enough to think that the strikeout rate is going to torpedo his value in this sort of league. Um and he might not be a he's probably not a viable option most of the time in any sort of league that's gonna punish strikeouts um but yeah overall like this this felt like a very very well-valued trade you know kalanick is the the high upside flyer um cortez is the is the main piece um and even the piece that that nate got back like him and verlander and cortez they both have they both have their their issues so um i think that that was very well valued there uh, this this next trade actually happened on Monday, um, but we're going to so different league week, but uh, we're going to talk about it all the same. This is a real simple one. Mike gave up uh, Kyle Schwarber. Nate gave up Jeff McNeil. Um, I'll start here. Uh, I I drafted Kyle Schwarber in my other league for the, and I, this is the very first time that I've rostered him and. I've just had, I've like had it up to here with the Kyle Schwerber experience. Um, and if you could see him, like I've had it, I've just had it with Kyle Schwerber <laughs> to be <laughs> perfectly honest with you. Like I never want to do this again. Um, I, even when I watch him, I'm like, just make contact. What, is, why are you, why? And it's, oh, it is so frustrating. It's like, just get a hit. It, it, I understand he's notoriously streaky. He comes alive about this point in the year, which, I mean, it makes it a good time to trade for him because it seems like every June he, he takes off and hits a bunch of home runs, but like from a, this, I will never draft Kyle Schwarber ever again, because I, I cannot handle like for my own health, I cannot handle this. Like, I just, I want to strangle him every time I see him up there swinging through pitches and swinging at bad pitches. And it's just, Oh my God goodness i i can't take it anymore um that being said this this feels like a fair trade it's just my own personal bias against kyle schwarber i just i can't imagine somebody willingly rostering him at this point it's it's sucked to the so far I, i've never been i don't think i've ever been so frustrated by a hitter having them on my team but that's just my own personal opinions kind of clouding this i guess um this seems like a I know Schwarber has higher upside than McNeil does. McNeil has more flexibility, but this seems like a pretty fair trade. I just my, I, I just can't do any Kyle Schwarber anymore. I don't think. Jerwin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have much to add. Like I, I, I don't think I'm as passionate about Kyle Schwarber as you, but I, I think you're, you're right. He's like the epitome of the really frustrating player that you, you laid out with with Jared Kellenick, like 
I mean, he's still got 15 home runs on the year. That's good enough for what was it, seventh? Like he's still he's still gonna hit bombs. And like you said, he could go off at any moment and be like super rosterable. Um, Kyle Schwarber right now is kind of like like Giancarlo Stanton maybe uh, a year or two ago. Like when he's on, he's absolutely on fire elite. When he's off, it's just truly dreadful so yeah this this trade is clearly like trade for some upside with the high floor player um so yeah i think it's certainly fair um jeff mcneil kind of kind of plugs a hole with schwarber being less consistent yeah, and like maybe maybe my opinion is just because I haven't experienced the good Schwarber yet, but I can't imagine that he would do anything to make it worth the misery that that I've endured up to this point with Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Just night after, I get, I hate to like just keep just keep going on about this, but like I open the app, it for like I don't really do it anymore because I'm so far behind. But like I open up the app and it's just like oh for four, oh for five. Maybe sometimes he'll have an oh for three with a walk, but it's just it was it's just awful. I couldn't, I, I can't anymore. All right, we're done with Kyle Schwarber I, before, before I just lose it. Uh, let's go to the next, to the, la, the last trade. Um, we're going to work this one into our main segment as we talk about the trade market as well. But um, we'll start from just a pure player evaluation standpoint. Um, Jerwin, if that's kind of how we were planning on doing this, yeah. um, we will start there. So lots of names. Um, JC trades Yandy Diaz, Justin Steele, and Jason Dominguez. Jordan trades Devin Williams, Johan Duran, Max Fried, Xander Bogarts, Kodai Senga, and Vinny Pasquantino. Okay. I guess I will start. Um, and I will start by going through it player by player. Jason Dominguez. I don't have a whole lot to say about him besides I don't think he should have been drafted. I don't think he should be rostered. He's hitting under 200. I don't really think there was ever a shot of him coming up this year, and that makes him just a burnt roster spot, in my opinion. Being brutally honest, that's my thoughts on Jason Dominguez. Uh, Maybe he'll be good one day, but you're not going to want to hold him until then. Justin Steele. Not crazy about Justin Steele either. In fact, I'm thinking, I know we had the conversation a while ago. um, I don't remember how many podcasts ago that was, where we were talking about him, and I think we kind of, we liked what he was doing, but we did acknowledge that there was probably some regression coming. And um, since then, he's done less of the thing that I was hoping he would do, which um, he hasn't located quite as well. Um, and he's also gotten hurt, which with a forearm injury that you don't like to that that that's a huge red flag for me. Um, I don't I don't want to trade for a pitcher that just got a forearm injury. Um, Yandy Diaz. I I like Yandy Diaz a lot. Um, and I, I, he's always hit the ball really hard. I think that the power is where people are a little. I don't want to say uneasy, but they're probably non-believers about the power because he's never been a power guy. Um, but he's always hit the ball really hard. His issue has always has been that he's hit it into the ground. Um, that's changed quite a bit this year. He doesn't have an elite launch angle. He doesn't have the optimal one that you would you would be hoping for but his his launch angle now is actually the i think it's like a tenth of a point off of where or a tenth of a degree off of where vladimir guerrero's was uh during his near mvp season 
um, in 2021, which you can do that. You can have it there and still be very successful as long as you hit the ball very hard, which Yandy Diaz does. His stat cast page is actually remarkably similar to uh, Vlad's from that year, if you were to compare them. So I, I understand the skepticism beyond behind, you know, not buying that sort of breakout because Yandy Diaz is, I think he's, is he 31 or 33? I don't remember. He's over. I, I thought, yeah. Okay. He's on the wrong side of 30. So I get that part. I totally get it. But I will, I will remind people, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but we've kind of seen this thing, this sort of thing happen before it's not unheard of that somebody makes a swing change and they're in their 30s and that transforms their game that happened to josh donaldson um he was on the wrong side of 30 with the blue jays when he made a swing change and optimized his launch angle and it totally revolutionized him it it, it basically did for him it unlocked his power because he always hit the ball really hard it unlocked that aspect of his game and turned him into an elite fantasy option for a couple years and um Yandy Diaz, the way that he's hit the ball, plate does th- this is his best format. And I think that the his swing change can kind of unlock that for him. And I'm not saying he's gonna be Josh Donaldson. I'm not saying that he's uh gonna be because Josh Donaldson was a first round caliber hitter for a couple years. I don't think that that's going to happen with Yandy Diaz. I'm not betting on that. But I am I do kind of buy this breakout, and I do think that he's going to be a probably comfortably above three points um for the rest of this year uh and that's that that's my honest take on yandy diaz but going to the other side of the trade um we'll we'll start with devin williams i'm again i'm I'm just deciding to go through this player by player this may have been a mistake Um, devin williams elite elite reliever uh yeah i i I don't i don't have any more to say about him (laughs) to ron skills wise i I think he's among the, the very best relievers but he doesn't I don't know that the volumes quite where we like, I think he might be a little overvalued just because the volume isn't where it, where it is with some of the other ones. I don't know. I, I had that problem with him last year too, where I had him on another team and it felt like he never pitched. Um, Freed is very, I think he's comparable in this sense to, I guess he's, he's comparable to steel here where he's like another injured pitcher, but uh, obviously Freed's upside is probably top 12. I would say. Um, but again, Freed does not have a timetable, so that's, that's a little iffy. Um, I've already said my thoughts on Kodai Senga. I don't trust um, I don't trust splitter forkball guys. Uh, the pitch, I mean, I, I think I've explained why, but just to summarize, the pitch is you have to have a pretty big hand to, to throw that type of pitch effectively anyways, and it's just a hard grip to control consistently. Um, it, it's so... Normally, those types of pitchers are uh, really just very inconsistent because they they have a hard time, you know, keeping that keeping that pitch during you know start to start. Like some days it might be there, some days it might not, just because it is a very hard pitch to command, um, and the the grip is a little tougher uh, to get to get it to go where you want. So I think Senga was probably a pretty clear sell high here. Um, and I, I'm still a big fan of Vinny P, Vinny Pasquantino. Um, I'm starting to think he might be a little streakier than I would have hoped, but I, I'm still still a big fan of his. And then finally, Xander Bogarts. Um, I was kind of off of Xander Bogarts coming into this year, and I know he had a really hot stretch, and that I think he's been playing hurt. So like the 
the real Xander Bogarts is probably somewhere in the middle of where he's been performing and where he, uh, where he was at the beginning of the year, which is pro- honestly probably where I had him. I, th- I think he's more of like a 2.6, 2.5 points per game player at this point. Okay, so I've I've gone through every player. Thoughts on the trade? I think it is lopsided. I think it, I I Jordan gave up too many players, um, and too many quality players at that. Um, even if I am to believe in Yandy Diaz, um, you can't just totally ignore his his flaws. I don't think he's he's a set it and forget it keeper. I think he's a very good keeper, but at this point, he still has to show more for me to believe that he's going to be a set it and forget a keeper um justin Steele, the injury worries me um if that is a thing that plagues him the rest of the year i don't know that we would think that he's going to be keepable to be honest um and then i, I already said i i think that johan i say johan jason dominguez is a uh not a not even rosterable at this point um on the other side though jc I like I the like Yandy Diaz to me is the best hitter. Like I would want Yandy Diaz ahead of Xander Bogarts or Vinny Pasquantino from just the hitter perspective. Just for the if I'm redrafting them, I'm taking Yandy Diaz ahead of both of them for the rest of the year pretty comfortably. Um, but that's not that's not to say that this like the rest of the trade more than makes up for that. With Kodai Senga, you're probably getting someone who's I I would value him as a streamer pitcher. Um, I'm gonna throw him in good matchups, but probably not. He's not going to be a locked-in guy for me at all. Um, the big thing here for me is Devin Williams, because um, Devin Williams does have keeper value on too, and I think that he's a he's a locked-in bullpen guy. Um, Yohan Duran has the ability to do that, but he again, I think the the volume. Maybe I'm mistaken on that, but I I think that he's like he, he the hype hypothetically Yohan Duran is better than like he's like one of those guys that you see the gifts of him um just with his insane stuff and he's actually like he's not quite as good as that like he's better in my head than he is for real but uh i really like max freed although i I do have to acknowledge there is a lot of unknowns surrounding his injury i don't think we've been given a timetable since the original injury happened um xander bogarts you know i I guess i feel like i'm going through the players again overall lopsided trade i didn't i i don't think that keepers are worth as much um i definitely don't think that yandy diaz and justin Steele are worth as many players um but my issue with it is more the volume of players and the volume of good players that are being given up more so than you know like i guess like i guess these aren't a bunch of superstars but these are like almost all of the good players for two like one one keeper i think is good and one is iffy and one is nothing so that's the part that I really don't like about it. But enough for me. I've rambled far too long. Jerwin, your thoughts? Yeah, I'll 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 try to add to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely I I get what Jordan was going for here. Obviously, he's selling. He's had a rough go of it this year with injuries to Robbie Ray. Manoa's been terrible. Max Fried gets hurt as soon as he trades for him. Just a lot of things going wrong. And he was already coming into the season with a poor keeper pool. So the expectations weren't super high for him anyways. I don't, I I think I'm with you, Jake. I don't particularly, other than maybe Yandy Diaz, I don't particularly like the keepers that he chose to target here. I I, I think he could have gotten better keepers 
with the players that he gave up. Um, so yeah, not to not to rehash everything you went through, but this is this is kind of how I framed the trade when I was doing when I was evaluating it. Um, Jason Dominguez, like you said, take him or leave him. He might as well not be here um, in in this deal. Uh, Yandy Diaz. I said just leave him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yandy Diaz. I think, like you said, Devin Williams has his own keeper value. He's a locked-in closer. And yes, closers aren't worth as much as like a really strong hitter. Um, but still, like Devin Williams is available in the ninth round next year. Yandy Diaz is in the eighth. Yeah, I think Devin Williams had like that. The keeper value does have to count for something. Is yeah. I guess what I was trying I, to get at. I I think what I how I kind of saw it was Devin Williams with his quality and his keeper value kind of gets you most of the way there for Yandy Diaz, and then you throw in like if we're talking, you know, how we're valuing Yandy as a keeper, you throw in Vinny Pasquantino, who like you, I I also still really like. Um, as like the replacement player to kind of pay for the the production you're losing at the at the position and kind of like the extra years of eligibility, if you will. Um, so like that two for one right there, I think I would have done that if I'm in Jordan's position, and I would have been happy getting that in JC's position. So yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately for Jordan, that means now you have a four for one for Justin Steele, who I agree with you. Like he could still have some upside. Like maybe he just is good. And maybe he was just having kind of an off stretch here before he got hurt. I, I don't know. Like best case scenario still is like he comes back from injury and he continues to pitch well. I still think he's not worth four players on his own. Um, like, no, def- definitely. I not. mean, the four players we're talking about here is Duran, Freed, Bogarts, and Senga at this point. Um, and like, they all have their problems. Like, he laid out Senga is a sell high, Xander Bogarts is kind of like borderline sell high. I don't really know what to make of him at this point because we've seen like, the worst and best case scenario for him already this season. Duran, like you said, isn't, you know, he's, he's a great pitcher, but he's not scoring points. And Max Freed is hurt right now. So back check that real quick. <laughs> Cause I'll feel really bad if I've just been driving that in everyone's head and it's actually incorrect. Well, I mean, he's goodness. He is 27th in RP points right now, which is good. It's starting. But it's not, you know, Devin Williams, I think, is top 10. And it's not uh, it's not among the other elite closers skill-wise. Okay, yeah. So just to clarify, so Johan Duran actually has more innings than Devin Williams. I'm not sure what the problem is here, to be honest with you, because, like, Devin Williams has a good amount. Like, his, he's just better. Maybe it's the base runners then, but... Yeah, I I don't like his number. Like Duran's numbers don't seem particularly bad. It's just like does seem like he just doesn't for whatever reason he's just not doing 
as much with as as I would have thought with his with his innings. I don't know. Yeah, it's he's a it's curious very, case. It's very strange, but like the point is, all four of those guys, even with their problems, I think you can get more than Justin Steele out of them. Because, like, they are pretty good names, at least. Like, their names carry some some value still, at least. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on the trade. And then just one last point that, I, I mean, kind of leads us into the, the, the main segment talking about the trade market. The biggest problem I have with this is that it's just too early. Like, I, I alluded to it when I talked about my keeper strategy going into this year. Like, I think selling early is just the wrong move. And Yandy Diaz and Justin Seale, I think, are great examples of that. If this trade happens in, you know, July or August, whenever our trade deadline is, and these guys are still performing the way they are, I think we feel a lot better about this trade. But you can say the same thing for, like, Jordan's side. Like, if Xander Bogarts, Max Fried, closer to returning or back and pitching well... Vinny Pasquantino, if he if he kind of takes off down the second half, like a lot can happen between now and then. I don't I don't think you should be making this trade this early because you just don't know so much that you could know if you just waited. Yeah, Freed isn't Freed especially because uh, like you're there's no timetable right now, so you know it can be tough to value him, but even still. Um, but but he only gains value the closer he gets right right to that's that's what i was gonna that's what i was gonna say he only you know he only gains value from here i would think unless i don't think it's supposed um, to be like a season ender and i i don't think yeah. people unless he has a setback unless we get some terrible news but like that's a bunch of what if that you can't bet on either way so you might as well just wait still i think yeah, and like it is a big deal what you said too about the extra sample size because that that's the thing. If you don't really, I guess like if you don't believe in Yandy or or Justin Steele, like there's and there's if they're still doing this in a month or a month or two, like you'd probably feel a lot better about it. So I don't think there's any, I don't know that there's any harm in in waiting. Like a, I don't know that there was anybody that was maybe Sam. I mean, I don't even I don't think Sam would have. Like he was kind of, I think Sam was well is not going full sell yet. So like I, I don't really need to jump in ahead of him if that makes sense. Yeah. His his trade felt like we didn't really talk about that aspect of it, whether whether Sam's selling or not. But his I mean I'm sure he felt, is, but it felt more like a hedging his bets kind of trade. Like I'll stick around, but maybe I'll add a, a keeper that feels makes me feel better if I'm if I do kind of fall off. That's kind of how it felt to me. Yeah, that that makes sense. But uh, let's let's get into that main segment because we're going to talk more about this trade, and I don't want to just you know, bury it right, get through everything right now. So, Jerwin, um, I I kind of teased earlier that you were going to work through your your keeper strategy from from earlier. If you were are are you going to are you going to amend anything? Like, tell us what's what's changed, what stay what stayed the same. Um, maybe give us some more clarification on your on your earlier keeper position. Sure. I, so I think to try and reiterate or adjust what I said at at the top of the year. And first of all, let me let me start by saying I'm under 
no delusions that like I gave this speech on the podcast and now some, suddenly everyone is like hanging on my every word, listening to my, all of my advice. I just I just like to talk about this and I like to, you know, only blaming you for the state of the trade market. It's your okay. fault. I mean, fair, but whatever. Um, so but that said, like, this is just how I'm seeing the trade market and I'm on the podcast, so I get to talk about it. <laughs> um, so first thing is what I'm going to call the golden rule. And it is, you shall keep five, no more, no less. Um, what I'm not going to do is sell out my whole farm because when I do, I'm crippling my team next year and giving my keeper away, keepers away at too high a discount, or at least I have historically. However, if I'm trading from excess in my keeper pool, the discounts are fine. So that's the no more and no less. Um, and then the second part, and I, I kind of spoke to this in talking about Jordan's trade, patience is a virtue. I think selling early is a bad strategy. Um, and like, as the season has gone on, and certainly have, after looking at this trade and thinking about it, that says this part, I think, has become an even bigger part of my keeper strategy and how I'm looking at the market. Um, now, I think how I how I think I probably came across, or not not even came across, how I kind of felt at the beginning of the year, and what I was trying to express. A big part of it was that I thought keepers were being sold away for less than they were worth, and I think that's still true. And I think. I mean, with the exception of Jordan's trade, because we just hashed out why we why we think these particular keepers are not worth as much as they went for. Um, but I th I think there's there's a lot of factors going on here. Even even if it was, I'll, I'll use Nate's team as an example because he has like Spencer Strider, um, and. Bryce Harper, who's like an earlier but like elite bat, who's a good keeper. So it's it's at least it's somewhat comparable to Justin Steele, a pitcher, and then Yandy Diaz, a hitter, who's available a little bit earlier in the draft, but still a good keeper. And I think both those guys are much better than Justin Steele and Yandy Diaz, obviously. Um, even then, I think if you swap those guys out and have this trade, we obviously like it a lot better because those are significantly better keepers. But I think even getting them as a seller for their actual value and as a, as a buyer getting full value for those keepers, Spencer Strider and Bryce Harper, I think that's actually not how I see the trade market going in the future and not how I'm going to treat it. Though I, I think this is kind of what I envisioned when I was thinking through this keeper strategy that I that I was talking about it earlier in the year. Um, and maybe maybe we can dig more into into why I think it's changed. But like a big part is the how much patience factors into it. Um, I think if you if you wait longer as a seller, you're likely going to get better discounts as you go along. 
I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at there for now, but that's kind of where I'm at generally. Maybe we can dig into it a little bit more. And we definitely will, but after this quick break. And welcome back. Um, all right, so my so my thoughts. Um, I I totally agree about the whole selling early thing. Um, that never really doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, basically, for a lot of the reasons you laid out, you know, you have a larger sample size if you just wait. Um, in general, you're probably not going to really miss out on many better keepers. Like I know some people, like if they're I I know when they're out of it. Like it's hard to just like stay the course, but um, I, I think in general, if you give yourself more of a sample size to see, like you're going to just get better keepers or reliable keepers that way. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that's my main thought on on selling too early. It's just not, I, it, it's never really seemed like a good idea to me. I think I, I think the fear is oh oh what if the guy that i'm trying to sell away like my big piece gets hurt or they fall off and they're not performing as well like i get that fear but with that i think you can apply the same argument that real quick you can you can apply the same argument to all the guys that you're trying to get like what if the keeper you you want to try and target it gets injured what if they fall off and start performing poorly like these are all hypotheticals that you just can't bet on, like bet on the bigger sample size. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think the bigger fear, though, is that if I wait to sell my guys, like if I, in theory, if I sell first, I get my pick of the pick of the litter, basically. Um, sure. And there's like, I guess my thought, what I would say to that is like, there seems to me like there's plenty. See, this is where, I, not to like jumpstart this conversation early, but because we're planning on talking about this, like the whole supply demand aspect always seems skewed towards, uh, I guess, sellers. Like there's always going to be more buyers than there are sellers. So in theory, like I, I would think that that would make the market skew that way. Like this, if a seller misses out on a big keeper, like, you know, oh, well, I can turn and get a different big keeper over here and feel pretty good about that. Like there always seems like there's more, whereas on the other side, as a buyer, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, shoot, there's only like a couple sellers. I better get in here first. So maybe this is a thing where I'm kind of thinking like, and I don't mean this in like the way that I'm sure it's going to come across, but like, do the, do we think that like, do the sellers need to stay, I want to say like stay, stay stronger, but like, I, I think it's probably hard to, you know, hold the line and say, no, I'm going to wait when there's a bunch of buyers like texting you about trades and like at the time the keepers probably look pretty good but i would just think from like a pure supply demand standpoint i guess we'll just transition into that part of the talk from a pure supply demand standpoint i would think that the seller should have the leverage and we've never i don't think we've ever really seen that and i don't think we've ever really seen it effectively leveraged where you know, I'm I'm gonna have multiple people bidding for these players. I think the closest we came was a couple years ago, maybe it was last year, where Scott put a bunch of us in a group chat and was basically like, "I'm looking to sell all these players. Like, come and get them." And I think that's probably the closest we came to somebody actually, you know, using that leverage from the what should be like supply and demand. 
but I don't think that that really is has been happening in this league much at all. Like I, I know that like my my negotiations feel pretty exclusive, and when that's like that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't feel like people are gauging the market. Like when you, I I don't mean to to come across like sounding condescending or anything, but like it just doesn't seem like the sellers are leveraged have leveraged or historically have leveraged what should be a market that works in their favor, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I fully agree. Um, I I mean, to be fair, it it has been pointed out that I have sold frequently in this league. I, I think I've been a buying team twice. You know, that that's not a great win percentage on my part. So as the guy here in the in the podcast talking who has done it before like i know i have not leveraged um i i have not leveraged my position um I, maybe the closest i came was i think i got tyler glass now last year at a discount and now that trade happened to like completely blow up in your face sorry to bring this up <laughs> spring this on you jake but um but I, I think even at the time, I felt, because I had been thinking of, like, I, I think keepers are more valuable than they're going for even last year. So when I got Tyler Glasnow, I think it was for Kevin Gosman and Craig Kimbrell, who was a decent but struggling closer at the time, and Kevin Gosman was playing pretty well. Um, like, I thought, I was like, oh, this is this is a pretty good deal for me. But I didn't. I didn't go around saying, "Hey, I'm selling off Kevin Gosman, and um, and Craig Kimbrell. Come and get them. I want your keepers." Um, I I could have, I think, got an even better deal than that. And I I did that deal. I I happened to look this up. It was the same day that Jordan did this deal in this league, or in this season last year. So like same week i sold for tyler glass now that jordan sold for for his keepers i think i got a i could have gotten a much better deal had i like you said leveraged the market and waited closer to the deadline because i think the the other part is the there's like the fear that all the good keepers going to be gone and that's not true because there are more buyers like you said but i think teams willingness to to shoot off keepers and accumulate more quality players increases closer to the deadline because playoffs are closer they're feeling the pressure they're seeing other teams solidify their place and they want to do the same so like just basically all of the pressure is moving in the direction of giving away keepers for a discount. And that's where I think my my thoughts at the beginning of the season were flawed because I thought, yeah, we should see more big trades for the super elite keepers um, because that's what they're worth. That's their actual value. But I, I think because of supply and demand like you're laying out 
the the sellers are in prime position to get quality keepers for discounts. Now, I, I think if I'm and like I said, the the part that I we don't talk about enough is that is the I expressed it the golden rule like I did for a reason. You shall keep five, no more, uh, n no more, no less. Like if you're getting, if you're falling below that five keeper mark, then then don't give away your keepers for a discount because you're hurting your team next year. But if you're above that mark, if you've got like seven guys who you'd feel comfortable keeping, give away two of them for discounts, improve your chances of winning this year, and you haven't hurt your team next year. It's, you you have to have five, but you only have five. That's, that I think is the key for me. I, I, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I don't know that I, I don't know that I necessarily 100% agree with that. Only because, like, I'll use Brendan as a cautionary tale. He had what we would have, what we would think would be like the, you know, the, we, we thought his keeper pool was basically the best coming into this year. And then it just kind of started falling apart. Um, specifically like Carlos Rodon. We don't even have to use Brennan. Let's use Carlos Rodon. He's, he was considered probably no less than a top three keeper hasn't contributed at all this year my my point is like i would i don't know that i'd be like if i have a real chance at at winning i don't know that like being stingy like that to that like hold it just you know like i can't trade i can't trade enough that i have i have like i have to have five i guess is what i'm saying i i, th I don't know that that's the right thing to do the the thing for me so hmm Here, let me just let me elaborate a little bit so yeah, like if ahead. you so basically like if i feel good about my team right now like who's to say even with that keeper that i'm going to be in the same pos position next year so like i guess we'll go with my my own team since i know my roster and i can't think of a better like, like my team's performing well right now right so i i don't have We'll just I don't I don't know who to use. We'll just we'll we'll pretend like let's pretend like Brandon fought was was elite. So if I have Brandon because I, I can't think of another keeper off the top of my head who would fit into this mold. But um and I say this mold is like a like a fringy like you know like fifth, fourth round or fifth fourth round, fifth, fourth keeper like that, where like if I had to, he would be my fifth keeper. Right? Like I don't know that if somebody came to me and said your hypothetical Brandon Fott, who is in this universe really good. Um, like, I don't know that I should be holding him with the position that my team is in because I might not have this the same sort of success next year. Like, I might not hit on a Nathan Avaldi late in the draft who turns out to, to be really, really good. I might not, that might not happen. Like, there's so many unknowns like that just broken my you know just like so many things that just broke in my favor this this year in particular that there's no guarantee that's going to happen again and i think if we if i if i just held the line and said well my variant of brandon fought who's actually really good 
I, I have to keep him for next year. Cause I, I like, I, I think that's like splitting your eggs between two baskets. And I don't know that that's necessarily the right call in that particular case. And I mean, I can't be alone in that. You know what I mean? Like there's plenty more situations that are happening in this universe <laughs> where there's, there's a keeper in that sort of situation where I don't know that it would be in the, the competing team's best interest to say, I, I can't trade him because he's one of my five or even, even say like, I even take it a step farther. I can't trade him. He's one of my four. I don't know that it's necessarily a good idea to do that. Well, I'm, I'm definitely not saying don't trade him at all. I'm saying if you're dropping below that five player threshold, you should be getting full value for them because you're giving up full value for them. If that makes sense. Like your hypothetical Brandon fought to, to you and your team in that fifth spot. Switch it to a regular a guy. Like, let's just say Tony Gonsolin. Cause I, I don't know why I blanked on okay, a keeper. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, Tony Gonsolin, we'll go with him. So I, hmm. The thing is, like all of all of fantasy is maximizing your points at certain points. You maximize your points for the matchup by making the correct lineup decisions. You maximize your points for the year by making the correct draft decisions. And you can get those decisions wrong. And like over larger sample sizes, there's much more variance to like a lot more variables go into whether that decision was right. Like we're, we're going to talk about it a little later. Jacob DeGrom's getting Tommy John surgery. That's a terrible keep. Now that was my fourth round pick. I could have used that on, on another pitcher who would actually be pitching for me. Uh, I didn't look to see like who was drafted in, in the fourth round, but like, that's, that's a great example. Like you're going to get stuff wrong sure but with keepers you're trying to maximize your points over the course of three years and that's a very large sample size with a lot of variant a lot of variance a lot of variables going into whether that ended up being the correct decision or not I mean, we could talk about Corbin Burns. Like, he's been, you know, he's had his struggles this year. He's still he's probably bringing up, one bringing of up Corbin Burns and Craig Kimbrell. Just, <laughs> just punch me directly in the heart next. Why don't you? Sorry, I just, I, I, I also had Corbin Burns, and like, I, I think, like, he was what kicked off this this kind of thought process for me because I felt like I gave him away for too little because because he was one of the top keepers and I gave him away for a discount trying trying to win a championship. Now I, I gave away a lot of other players at you know varying rates of value out of my keeper pool that year and I think that was the bigger mistake. Um, I, I I feel like I've, lost my overall train of thought but uh, yeah I, I think like you can't 
you're you're trying to maximize the value you get out of your keeper pool. And it's just a lot harder to do that if you're dropping to four or three or two solid starting keepers. So the the way I, I would want to approach it is maximize my value with five keepers that I'm comfortable with. Trade off the rest to get as much value for them as I can because I can't keep them in my five. And then if I'm dropping below that five, getting equal value in return because I'm losing that keeper value myself. I'll say one more thing, then we'll move on to our kind of our next topic. But um, I, I think that all sounds great. Like, ideally, that would be how I would want to treat it. But I, like, I don't know that everybody's in the position to really do that. Like most player, most teams don't have that many good keepers, I don't think, that would be mm -hmm. worth holding on to just to get to that number. I guess is my kind of my thought process on it, but we won't, we don't have to keep reiterating this, this topic. We can go to a different one. Sure. We'll, um, we'll bring it up in another six weeks or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Probably around like trade deadline time, but um, yeah. this was something I kind of worried about all weekend. The, and I know I had kind of spoken against this and like against this thought in the, in the group chat, but um, it is something I, I was concerned about and something that I'm, I'm like, I've been thinking through all, all weekends and respect basically in response to this trade, but um, have we swung too far towards, like you said that you think keepers have historically been undervalued. Have we swung too far the other way in your opinion? Like are keepers overvalued now? Now let me kind of, let me kind of walk you through just sort of what I was thinking. Like I, I know a lot of people said like bad for the league and everything. And for the most part, I, I, I don't I agree if we are at the point where teams are trying to get like to so okay let me let me back up on one hand I think that's true if we are at a point where to get a keeper who's in somebody's top five or top four that the prices are that much and even when I sat back and reflected on it and I'm not trying like I'm not even trying to trade for keepers but in negotiations with different people, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but this this has happened with multiple people. I've I've been surprised if we if the discussion has floated to a player who has some sort of keeper value, and like they've given me a price that it just seemed ludicrous to me, and that's basically like the the thought process is well i don't they're one of my best keepers and by best keepers i'm assuming they met they're in their top four or five like they're not among that that excess keeper now i don't want them for, i didn't want them for their keeper value I, I was more wanting them because they're they're good players that would help my team and like that's just, that's part of it where i was like oh man have we kind of gone the other way on the buyer's perspective where they're not willing to even budge on anybody who's within they're five and on the other side for the sellers like are they now willing to to pay that price just to to get somebody else because like for my like i'm looking even looking at it from our my trade last year with brendan where he gave up i think four players and basically the only player of note he got back was jordan alvarez or was it three players I, I don't remember the exact specifics of the trade but it was more than like i'm normally comfortable with is and i was the one who did it um 
and like even looking at that like are people just willing now to pay those prices to number one like get a get a really good keeper who they want for their top five but like on the other side are, are buyers actually valuing them that way because that that would seem to be totally backwards with the way that i i think the supply and demand should work with with things um but my worry there was like if we reach that point as as a league like that's probably an indication the keepers are too valuable now and we may okay let me let me stop right here before i panic anyone like i'm not saying anything's imminent nothing like that is is i'm I'm thinking about is happening like this was just thoughts on my part over the weekend um in response to this that i i I don't i don't think this is what's happening this was just a thought that i had that i'm thought was an interesting discussion topic so i'm asking jared one as well um i figured i should just say that so nobody's alarmed or nobody asks me about this because i'm hopefully answering it here but that that was just a that was just a thought that that i was i had um it's like oh no maybe we've Maybe we're starting to get there. Um, Jerwin, what are your what are your thoughts on on that in particular? Yeah, so I, I would definitely agree that if if the league as a whole were kind of where Jordan was at with this trade, paying up big for for these keepers, or even even the top keepers, like I mentioned, guys like Strider or Rodon, Corbin Burns. You know the big names that we've we've talked about for years now. Um, I th- I think that's definitely a problem. I know, like very early on in the league in the ESPN days, we had a a rule change. I forget exactly what it was, but there was discussion like keepers are are too valuable. Let's adjust the rules. I think we adjusted like the round bumps or something like that to kind of mitigate that. It was the round bumps. You're okay. you're right about that. Yeah. So we've done it before, and you know if if thoughts around keepers have changed to the degree that you're suggesting, um, then, then yeah, I think I would be in support of, you know, adjusting things and, and getting things back to a more balanced situation. But I think what we've already laid out in this discussion is that a, you know, like you mentioned, like a lot of people in the group chat were, were very against this, so I would imagine they don't value keepers this way, um, and and won't value them like this in trades. But, um, and, and furthermore, I think we've both laid out why the two two of us we've made pretty good cases for why you should agree with that and not value them in this way, um, because. Like you said, the supply and demand skews towards the sellers, um, and the the pressure is going to build in your favor, and you're going to be more likely to get keepers at a discount than than not. Yeah, I mean, I and there's there's other things that that could be done, I think, to to curb this if it was necessary. But like, I'm the more that I, I think about it, um, and like I said, I've reflected on this uh, kind of a lot over the weekend just thinking about it, but um. I'm thinking this is more of, as of right now, this is more of a one-off situation. Like you said, everybody doesn't seem to, everybody seemed to think this was an overpay. So that would indicate to me that, you know, if it, like nobody's going to pay this price again um, because it's considered very expensive and 
you know, why would you? Um, so that that part of it did ease my mind did did ease my mind about potential implications for for the market. Like, I don't think this is anything that's going to now like set the market. Like, this isn't because you know nobody's going to do that. Um, so that did that helped. Uh, you know, ease ease that part of it. But uh, yeah, I I was just curious as to your your thoughts on it. Um, but you know, after reflecting on it over the weekend, I've kind of come to a you know like do not panic. We will go around the leaf sort of thing, where uh, that's from a bug's life, by the way. Um, <laughs> that we, we that uh we we don't need to panic quite yet. Um, if this if this happens again, like I'll I'll definitely be a little more concerned um you know but i think we still have i think we still have a ways ways to go to get to that point but um yeah i i don't i again i again want to reiterate though i I don't want to alarm anybody or make anybody think that we can't make trades now because we don't know what's happening with the keeper market that's not the case like until farther notice it's exactly the same and i don't have any plans on exploring changes right now um but I just I only bring it up because I it was something I was thinking about quite a bit and I thought it was an interesting discussion. But let's move into our kind of our final topic here for our main segment. Um, and we I think we've alluded to this in the past, but I did want to go a little bit more detail into this because we saw this week our standings get even more clogged. Um, when what I mean by that is like the gap uh, between the West spots and the wild card is shrinking. Um, so while that's normally what happens anyway, is like the wild card teams are normally the teams we they they never have better records than any of the top three. That's I don't think that's ever happened before. But what this did was it just clogged up our standings even more. So now we have both spots in the West kind of up for grabs. Um even Sam is only three games out of a playoff spot or only three games out of uh second place in the, in the West. That's, I think he is the points tiebreaker over just about everybody else there. Um, it's very clogged. Like even the, in the wild card, we have a bunch of teams that now are seven and 11. Um, it, it's, you, know, you get the point. It's, there's a lot of teams for a few spots and they're all very much still in it. With so many spots uh, still up for grabs, how do you see the trade market shaping up in terms of buyers and sellers? Like, do you think this is going to be, like, could we see in a very extreme situation where there's like one or two true sellers and everybody else is buying? Because I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, but could we see like an extreme situation like that? Do you think? Yeah, I think if everything holds that's kind of what i anticipate at this point in the year now a lot can still change between now and the deadline but i mean if if the trajectory holds then certainly i think i think we'll see i I think what we'll actually see is a lot more holders if you will like i mean the the sellers if there's going to be we're going to see a lot less sellers um and you know like i said you can only keep five and i don't think i i think we've seen the keeper hoarding strategy a lot less over the the past couple years um and i think that trend is going to continue so like buyers 
aren't going to have a lot of options to choose from. Um, and I, I think guys are just going to feel like if I, if I kind of stay where I am in terms of the standings and in terms of scoring, like, I think I'm just going to hold my cards. Like maybe what we'll see is a couple guys in the middle, like you did last year, Jake, where you're like in contention, you have a playoff spot, but you're not feeling great about your overall chances of making it the whole way through and winning. And so you you sell off a couple of guys to get like a Corbin Burns because you don't want to be you, you want to take the one foot in, one foot out approach. I think we can maybe see some of that, but overall few sellers and a lot of guys kind of holding their cards. Do you think that our weird standings right now, you know, the way that everything is currently, I, I, I'll just say it again, everything's clogged up right now. Um, do you think that that's the main driver behind the current state of the trade market? And like, what I mean by that is like, we've seen very slow, I guess the trade market's been very slow, basically. Um, we haven't really had any true, many true buyer-seller trades, obviously excluding the one that was a very obvious buyer-seller trade. Um, we haven't, we just haven't seen too many of those, and I, I, I feel like we have seen more of that happen by this point um, in previous years. So, do you think that the, the the currents, like, do you think that our our standings are the the primary reason behind that? Yeah, well, I I can speak for myself. Like, I've I've already talked a lot. My my approach was already leaning towards patience this year. Um, and I've only like felt more strongly about that as the year's gone on. But I, I think a, a part of why I've started to feel more strongly about that is definitely like where things are at in the standings. I looked, I have the same number of wins through nine matchups this year as I did last year. And I was, you know, four games out, I think, of a top three spot in my division. And this year I currently hold a top three spot in the division. So it's definitely, it's definitely a factor. I actually, I actually looked into it cause I was kind of curious um, to me, this is like a, a, a mini deep dive, if you will, to me, the, the difference isn't so much the East West disparity, although that is part of it. Um, what we've actually seen so far this year is a hollowing out of the middle so counting wins uh the top four last year had 50 wins through nine matchups this year there's 52 so the top four are doing two games better than last season the bottom four last year had 20 wins this year they have 24 so the bottom is also doing better this year the middle four wins positions in in overall standings positions five through eight last year they had 38 wins this year, 32. So right where the the playoff battle actually happens between those last couple spots in the top of the divisions and the wild card spots, that's where it's actually gotten a lot closer. Um, the bottom is doing a lot better and the middle is doing a lot worse. So I, I think that's been the main contributor. And that's, I think, going to continue to drive drive people to stick around longer um, and try to compete for longer than last season. Yeah, that makes sense. But let's, that's all for our, that wraps up our trade segment. Um, hopefully 
hopefully this was a good discussion. Um, again, I'll just reiterate, I did not mean to make it sound like I was telling people what to do, but uh, that was just... I definitely I, I am. You should What's listen that? to me. I definitely am. You should listen to me. <laughs> but, uh, let's go now to our, like, looking ahead to next week. Um, can you give me... I think this itinerary is backwards. Can you give me your thing to watch for? Uh, I am. Oh, uh, yeah. I the thing to watch for for me is how good is JC now? Really? Um, I think like we all agree he got he got kind of a haul out of that trade. Um, I do question like the overall quality that he, he got. He definitely got quantity. I am not sold on the quality just yet on, on a couple of them. Like Senga is an obvious one. Um, and we don't know how long Freed's going to be out. So it'll be interesting to see how how JC's team looks this weekend moving forward. My thing to watch for is Alec Manoa. Um, oh. I want to see... Okay, so it, it went so poorly on Monday that like there was a bunt down the line and he literally tried to... Like he got down on all fours and tried to blow the ball out of bounds and that or out of bounds uh, into foul, into foul territory. He still couldn't do that. So like nothing is nothing was going right <laughs> for him. And he spoiler alert for news and notes. He got sent down. I didn't this see is, that. Wild. It, yeah, it's it was crazy. Like he couldn't even do that properly. But uh, like that just, that also shows showcases how desperate he is for like anything to go right. And like. I I am I've never seen a pitcher just of his caliber just collapse so quickly, like not like and it's not the same situation as like Madison Bumgarner where you could point to the dirt bike and like he was a little older at that point he had a ton of mileage on his arm, like there's not one single thing I can point to that like where we thought like oh yeah that's that's why he's struggling, he's just completely lost. I and I know that I I say that he's my thing to watch for when he got sent down because I am kind of I'm interested to see if there's any news on how the Blue Jays are actually going about trying to fix this because there are so many things that are just going completely wrong I don't know if it's like in his head um I I I don't know what his problem is is it the pitch clock I I'm interested to see how they go about diagnosing the problem and trying to fix it um I know that that's not like the most flashy thing to watch for but I'm really interested to see how this actually plays out and when he comes back up, I don't know how long he's going to be down. So we probably we probably can't um, we probably can't resolve this thing to watch for this week. But I'm really interested to see when he comes back up, what he's going to look like, and if they talk about what changes they tried to make or tried to implement. Um, because this really is like I feel bad for him, but it really is like a fascinating case to to watch. Um, so that's my thing to watch for. Uh, going into prediction records. Jarrah, when you went four and two last week, so you are sitting at a six oh four win percentage. The as we talked about, the East let me down. I am at two and four week, but I'm still in the lead, six nineteen win percentage. Uh, the guest, I did not get Jordan and Nate's records. Those are probably just lost forever. Um, so <laughs> the guest is at sitting at six hundred. Uh, Fantrax is lagging behind all of us um, at five seventy four. They went three and three last week. Uh, so let's get right into the matchup predictions. Let's start with Brendan versus Mike. Who do you have here? I took Brendan. I don't know what his record. I think I've picked him every week since he kind of turned it around. I don't know what 
I didn't look to see what his record is, but he's d- been doing pretty good for me uh, matchup-wise, so I'm going to keep riding with Brendan here. I went on the other side. I took Mike here. Um, I just he had a rebound le- week last week. Maybe this is a trap game, but I I kind of th- I I think that that Mike has kind of righted the ship recently. Um, so the next matchup, Sam versus Eddie. Um, I took Sam here uh, again. I, like I hate to just pick the favorite every time, but like I don't know. I just I'm picking Sam. <laughs> Who you taking here? That's right. I I picked Sam as well. Um. He is kind of having an unlucky season. We kind of brushed over it, but like he's outscoring a lot of the people ahead of him. So he he's also kind of a team to watch. Yeah, I think we did talk about that where we like his team should be better than it actually is standings wise. But moving to the next one, uh, me versus Jordan. Um, this was a pretty easy call to pick me here for this one. Um, yeah, not much more to say. <laughs> Yeah, top top versus bottom here. So I also picked Jake. Next one is Jerwin. That's you for League versus League Villain. I took the League Villain Nick for this one. Um yeah. Um I don't know why I keep like pretending like I have things to add. <laughs> Who did you take in this one? I took myself because positivity. That that and I think I still kind of have a good team. So fair enough. Uh Nate versus Scott. Um Despite the the down week last week, I actually took Nate here. Like his week last week was kind of torpedoed by Bryce Miller. So, um, you know, if that, I think he started Bryce Miller again, but like I, he probably won't be that bad. So I know that Scott had a down week, but um, I wanted to pick one upset and this is the one I, I chose. So I, I took Nate. Yeah, I, I actually went with Scott and spoiler for the fan tracks pick, but uh Fantrax actually favored Nate in this one. So uh you t- So even my I, upset I'm... pick isn't actually an upset pick. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually taking the upset pick on this one. I, I think Scott also has a bounce back week and his just happens to be better than Nate's. Yeah, for those of you wondering, I apparently don't read the itinerary very closely before I start recording. <laughs> um JC versus Nick Lee. This is our last matchup. Um I'm gonna take JC and his shiny new team here. Um who you have i'm actually gonna ride with nick lee i i think he he bounces back and holds on to that number two spot in in the standings for now until i take it from him uh so let's go to the fan tracks picks uh they're mike over brendan uh sam over eddie me over jordan league villain nick over jerwin nate over scott unfortunately and uh, JC over Nick Lee. So those are Fantrax picks. Um, so I, now I let's appreciate. I appreciate you just committing to just staying ahead of Fantrax by picking all the same picks as them, so you can't lose ground on Fantrax. That is the goal of the season. We just have to beat Fantrax. So I, I I appreciate that part of your strategy at least. Yeah, we just need to beat the machine. Is all that needs to happen here. All right, let's go to news and notes now. This is a pretty pretty full news and notes here, um, especially when we get to the injury section. It's like Jerwin had texted me earlier, and it's like, what, what did you say? Everyone, I looked at news. I looked at news and notes, and it looks like everyone's dead. Or yeah. like <laughs> so, but let's start with the let's start with the good news. Let's start with the call ups. Um, we have Andrew Abbott, uh, Red starting pitcher. 
uh, Brian Wu, Mariners starting pitcher, uh, Michael Grove, who I know is not really a prospect um, anymore, but he got called up all the same Dodgers starting pitcher. Finally, the exciting one, the, well, the most exciting one, Ellie De La Cruz, red shortstop, getting the call um, this afternoon, just a little bit before this podcast. So late addition to the, uh, to the news and notes, but um, how are we feeling about these, about these prospects? Yeah. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, obviously the most exciting, we are getting to that point in the year where like either the person getting called up is someone who everyone knows about and was like drafted this year or like, I've never heard of them because I, I haven't, kept up with prospect news as much as I would like at this point in the season. Um, but yeah, we'll be interesting. Uh, we'll be interesting to see because uh, Mike called out Ellie De La Cruz specifically on, on the podcast recently. So definitely someone to watch to see if, if Mike's confidence was warranted. Yeah. I mean, De La Cruz has probably the highest upside or, I mean, he's in terms of upside here, there's, no one in the minors right now, I don't think that has the same upside as him. <laughs> I mean, he, he could be, it's like, uh, it's like O'Neill Cruz, how we say that he has, um, he has just absolutely mammoth upside. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess saying mammoth because he's like also enormous, like Ellie David Cruz is right there with him. Like he's just a giant. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's got like, he's got all the tools you would want. Um, and the the biggest, the most encouraging thing to me recently is his plate discipline as of late has been really good. And that was the biggest thing I think that people wanted to see out of him was that because he was a little bit of a free swinger before, not, not a crazy free swinger, but to see that improve, that's really encouraging, especially for our format. So like mm-hmm. the sky's the limit with him, if he can, if he can come up and, and uh, put it together here. Um, yeah, I, I won't speak too much about the, the other guys. I know Abbott was one I picked up a while ago. I was, I've been following him pretty closely. He has that like rising fastball thing that we like, even though, even though the velocity is subpar and, um, he actually, I think, I think has the potential to have a pretty decent arsenal. Um, I like his curveball in particular. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think he's, he doesn't have like crazy upside, but I do I do like the potential there. Brian Wu is like at the tip. It seems to me like he's the typical Mariners prospect where he's the starting pitcher prospect where he comes up where he has a really good fastball and like that's kind of the bread and butter pitch. But the uh the secondaries are a little iffy. Um I'm not I know he he got absolutely wrecked in his major league debut, but it was it was against the Rangers. I think it was against the Rangers. Maybe it wasn't. Um but he, I can give him a pass for the, for the jitters, if if that was indeed the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Michael Grove, we don't have to really discuss too much because he's not nearly as interesting. I just had him on here for some reason. Uh, but moving into the send downs, uh, as we alluded earlier, Alec Manoa got sent down. Um, probably the most like shocking of the sent backs that I think we will ever have. Uh, Michael Soroka also got sent down. Um, I don't think that one's quite as surprising. He did not look very good coming up. And then I included this one just because of the the implications for the rest of the Guardians rotation. Uh, Zach Plezak got designated for assignment. Um, so that's that's good news for uh, 
Logan T. Allen. That's good news for Tanner Bybee because I know that um they I know that uh, Tristan McKenzie recently came back and instead of uh, booting either of those guys, it looks like they played well enough to earn their spots and they actually uh, removed Plezak instead. So, I mean, not that Plezak was doing anything to deserve being in the rotation, but I, I just thought that was notable because that that was something that was a little bit in question was which one of those young pitchers might get might might get left out of the rotation and it turns out that it's going to be neither of them uh, at least for the time being one less guy blocking future league winner gavin williams that too i i was going to include that in the the injuries too because we have cal Quantrill who who got a uh, shoulder injury um, give so me williams yeah that's one less guy in the way of gavin williams so we want uh, it yes we want gavin williams uh <laughs> for for returns we have two and they're they're both um they're both extreme pitchers. They're both they're both great pitchers, notable pitchers. Um the first is of course Tristan McKenzie. He uh he made his return with a bang. He, I think he struck out like eleven or twelve. It was at least double digits um in his return. He looked great. The other one, big sexy himself, Bartolo Cologne, has apparently unretired. Um, or at least there was a story about him retiring and his agents were quick to shut that down. So Bartolo Cologne, he's not out of the game quite yet. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of these guys we just mentioned, but that's okay if you don't. <laughs> I, was, I was just curious. Uh, so I pulled him up. The, the headline for Bartolo Cologne is the Mets will hold an official retirement ceremony for cologne on august 26th at city field so they're they're specifically setting the date late in the year not now so <laughs> it sounds like they're forcing him to retire like you're going to retire by this date we know that do we know if bartolo cologne actually agreed to show up at this ceremony uh no he officially idea. retired no idea <laughs> all right so we're gonna move into that injuries segment that we talked a little bit about and yes this is like everyone's dead um, outer darkness with with wailing and great gnashing of teeth yes uh chris sale is on the injured list with a shoulder hunter green got pushed back with a hip i think he's supposed to start on sunday but um i don't think that's a guarantee uh alec bohm on the injured list with a hamstring aaron judge crashed into the wall uh, trying to make a catch and he is likely to hit the injured list with a toe injury Cal Quantrill we don't really care too much about him but all the same we feel bad that he hurt his shoulder sort of uh, Justin Steele we mentioned before on the on the injured list with the forearm injury I don't think it's supposed to be real serious but we know that those can be very uh, very a little icky um, in terms of you know the re-injury potential there anyways Royce Lewis laceration on his face I think he's supposed to be fine but I I didn't check before this podcast to be perfectly honest with you uh Riley Green he fractured his fibula um Lars Newtbar he has a lower back injury both of those guys are on the injured list Nestor Cortez hit the injured list or is supposed to hit the injured list shortly with a shoulder injury um Brandon Lau uh has a leg injury Alex Wood hit the hit the injured list with a lower back injury. Jacob DeGrom, sad news. Right before the podcast, we got word that he is going to undergo his second Tommy John surgery. He is done for the year. 
um, and most of next year as well. Byron Buxton, big shocker here. I'm surprised it took him this long to be on the list. Uh, is injured with a ribs injured with uh, something to do with his ribs. Uh, that's all I put there, just ribs. So that's all I have for that. And finally, Steven Strasburg is shut down indefinitely, or at least uh, for the time being, with what all that I could see was that it was severe nerve damage, and he is shut down from throwing. So there's plenty of sympathy to go around here. Uh, Jerwin, so I don't, I don't know that we have to necessarily limit it to just one party here, because this is there, there should be. There's a lot of names here. I don't know if you want to hit on any. Uh, yeah, I, I will accept any and all sympathy should you choose to give it to me, because I have four guys on this list, and one of them, like you mentioned, Jacob Degrom with the Tommy John surgery, that sucks to not expect him back at any point this year not for like a, a late playoff push or a playoff run or anything like that um big sad about that uh i i don't i don't know on the top off the top of my head like who all has who on this list to like say which which other owners but like all of you guys on this list like we're fighting hard at this point in the season we're doing our best and they're just throwing injuries at us and it's just it's just a real bad time um i i will mention steven strasberg with this quote severe nerve nerve damage um man what a what a tragic like is he gonna pitch again like is this just the end of his career like what i I think his career ended like two years ago but (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, but like I, I don't know, man. Like I, I just I, I feel bad for for the guy and for like Nationals fans. Like one of the best prospects, um, of all time. Like coming up, a lot of excitement, um, and then had the career that he had. A uh, one World Series MVP with the Nationals, and then he just has this avalanche of injuries to like end it like what a what a of the ways to go out like this has got to be one of the worst yeah i mean i think the biggest sad probably goes to the washington nationals because none of us are paying i think 186 million dollars for any of these injured players um but the nationals are uh so i mean i guess we we probably shouldn't feel bad because you know they're making so much money anyways but you know they can't be they can't be happy about that yeah um other than that i don't know like the chris sale injury does worry me although i have heard things that it was more precautionary um i don't know how much i necessarily believe that and obviously the aaron judge injury is a huge blow to nick lee yeah um jacob Degrom was also precautionary when when they pulled him out with the forearm thing yeah that's that's true. That's why like any pitcher injury just really spooks me. The one yeah. it has to do with like a shoulder or forearm. Mm-hmm. It's it just has like even if they say that it's gonna it gets fine. It, it's just precautionary. We're not worried about it. It always has the potential to get worse. And yeah. like I guess that's true for any injury, but like it it really spooks me with with those types of injuries. So I, yeah, that's uh that's not good for anything, but. That brings us to the end of a particularly lengthy episode. Um, If you're still with us at this point, thanks for listening. 
Um, I am unsure if I will be on next week. I'm kind of operating on like a week to week basis with the, with just the busyness that's going on right now with, for me. But uh, if I am, I hope I, I think we have a guest scheduled. Do we? Maybe. Um, I, It's been a while since we've had a guest officially. So go ahead and sign up. I'll, I'll make sure that there's a spot open on the sign up sheet. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's have a guest guest on next week. week. Yeah, let's have a guest next week. Um, But anyways, we will see you then. Thanks for listening.